Do you ever feel like technology is just a bunch of digital noise? It's important to know what it's really about. This is Telecom Talk with host Pat Pittman. Pat brings over a half century of experience in the telecom industry and has seen firsthand many changes, regulations, and new technology. Now, she answers your questions. Here's your host, Pat Pittman. Well, good afternoon. I'm Pat Pittman, and I'm here on Telecom Talk. And today we have a guest, Denise Monroe. Denise Monroe is out of the Dallas, Texas area. And we're going to talk a little bit today about uh, fixed wire, fixed line auditing. Um, Denise has been in the auditing business for a while, and she brings a lot of expertise to the table. Good afternoon, Denise. Good afternoon, Pat. How are you? Ah, there she is. There I am. Yes, I am. Somehow we lost How are you. you. Okay. Good. I'm great. Um, we're going to talk about uh, fixed auditing today, right? Fixed telecom auditing. Yes. I guess we could talk yes, about any any kind of auditing, but I think we should probably stick to telecom. All right. <laughs> How did you get into the auditing business? Wow. Um, that's a long story I'm going to make really short. Okay. I have always been a person that has wanted to know what things cost. So in my corporate career with Four Seasons Hotels and Halliburton Company, I was involved in making um, technology-related decisions. And part of my um, responsibility was negotiating contracts and uh, authorizing what those contracts and the bills related to them cost. So I always looked at the details of things like that, and that just translated into um, my pursuing that as a discipline in my consulting practice. Oh, okay. I can understand that. That sounds like a pretty straightforward way to get there. There's no school for this kind of thing. I know. Isn't that, you know, people always say, where can I get this information? And, you know, it's strictly experience. I know some people don't really believe me that it really requires quite a bit of experience to get any sort of uh, knowledge base in this industry. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. So what are the steps of an audit? Well, first of all, you need to look at what your goals are. What areas do you want to impact? Do you just want to save money? Do you want to identify what services you have, create an inventory, those kinds of things? So where I usually start is a bill, one month's bill. That's a good place to start. From there, we can then review what services are on the bill, um, inventory the services that are on that bill, you know, saying, oh, here's this line that's connected to that service or that piece of equipment, and then look at what contracts might be impacted or affected or created by that bill, I should say. With that, um, we compare contracts to pricing on the bill and so forth and determine whether or not the service is accurate. And from there, you can then go even further and say, is this service necessary? Is this something that we are actively using? And that kind of thing. So there's several 
ways you can impact a bill during the course of an audit. You just have to know what questions to ask. Ah, that sounds interesting. How much involvement is required by the client? Well, you know, that varies. Um, Typically, we take the ball and run with it if that's uh, if the customer doesn't not want, does not have expertise in house, or want to focus on that kind of activity, um, usually they just produce the bills and maybe a point of contact and a letter of agency, which allows us to review these services and so forth on their behalf. Um, some some folks want to you know to have us be part of their team that they're looking at. So it really depends on the level of involvement they want. It's not something that uh, end users do every day, particularly. So putting it in the hands of someone with expertise often gives them a comfort factor in moving forward with such an activity. Oh, that I can understand. Um, When you're working with a company, um, who identifies like what? locations are there and what locations are not or if in the location you know has been downsized or you know is no longer there well that that does require some assistance from the customer and that we really want to have someone who knows what they're talking about you know or knows at least some of the basic information about their organization locations of facilities, addresses, and so forth, um, we might ask for, you know, during the course of our investigation, we might look at things like, well, have you downsized? Have you um, moved? And maybe this is an old address that you're being billed to, those kinds of things. So it really does help to have someone that has some knowledge about the organization Mm -hmm. involved in the process. Yeah, I can imagine that would probably be pretty helpful. Um, oh, absolutely. We're not, we don't want to reinvent the wheel where we don't have to. I can understand that one. Do you do anything on the fixed data side? Oh, absolutely. What we find is that um, data services, just as telecom services, have um, recurring costs. So with that, we go after um, identifying those services as well. Okay. Um, I understand you have a, a lot of um, or have looked before at nonprofits. And a lot of the times questions come up about taxes with nonprofits. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Well, depending on what kind of nonprofit an organization is, they are exempted from some, some taxes. For example, if you're a 501c3 organization, you are um, – usually exempted from sales tax and from federal excise tax. So those are taxes you will see on a regular basis on a typical invoice, whether it's telecom or wireless or um, data. So there's a process that you have to go through to get that exemption applied to your account because a lot of times if you don't bring it up with your vendor when establishing that account, it gets completely missed, and you may be paying for taxes that you should typically be exempted from. Can they go back after those taxes and get a refund? Absolutely. And what you will find 
is there is typically a state statute for the amount of sales tax that you can recover. In particular, I'm working with an organization in Michigan right now where um, the state statute is four years mm-hmm. that sales taxes uh, refunded. So um, in one case, the vendor said, well, we're only going to refund 90 days. Well, the state statute is four years, and though they don't have to comply with that, we can go back to the state and get the balance of that money back. Oh, so if the vendor won't refund it, the actual state will? Yes, absolutely. There's actually a different um, set of paperwork that Mm -hmm. needs to be filled out for that. But it is something that nine times out of ten, um, the vendor will sign. Essentially, they're signing their rights to brief getting that money back from the state because they're paying into the state's uh, sales tax coffers. Mm-hmm. So either they go back to the state to get the money back when they refund it or um, the customer can. And so the vendor has to sign over their claim to that, if you will, and it is is- a check is issued to the customer. That sounds complicated. How long does it take? Well, it varies by state, if you can imagine. Um, oh, for yeah. example, we just did this one in Michigan. It took about 30 days. Oh, that's but, not bad. Um, it's not bad. Um, but there are others where, you know, the organization is so slow that it could be 60 to 90 days. It just really depends. If you're waiting on the vendor, it could take a lot longer, to be honest with you. So um, it's it's actually almost easier to get it from the state. Wow. Isn't that amazing? <clears throat> You're right. Our government is working for us. That's great. I mean, that's good. What other type of taxes or anything else should um, people be looking at? It, are you talking about specifically nonprofits or no. in general? In general or you know, and nonprofits, either way. Okay. Well, you know, one thing that I think we all have to um, be aware of with regard to fees on our on our invoices is universal service fund charges. It's a surcharge that is mandated by the government, by the federal government, and then some states also have this mandate that vendors, carriers like your AT&Ts and Verizons and Frontiers of the World, um, are required to pay into this fund. And it is a fund that then is um, distributed to specific organizations like rural health care organizations or um, li- rural libraries, things like that, where it's a percentage of the interstate revenue on the bill. Mm-hmm. So every quarter, that fee, that percentage that you pay in changes. And it is mandated federally, like I mentioned, and sometimes statewide. And that, uh, that contribution factor can change somewhat radically. I mean, right now that amount is going to be 25.5%, but the first quarter of this year it was 21.2%. So, and then the previous quarter, 2019 fourth quarter, it was in the 25% range as well. So if you think about the amount of money that's going being, you know, charged against your uh, charges, the service charges on your bill, mm-hmm. you take a nice chunk of change out of your uh, budget. Wow, you're not kidding. 
That's 25%. I mean, that's huge. Yes, and, you know, I think a lot of times uh, end users don't factor that into their budgets. When looking at things like that, it's really important to know what those um, additional fees associated with your bill are for that reason. Wow, you're not kidding. Are there any other fees that can they look at? And is there anything you can do about some of these fees, or is it just, you know, grin and bear it? It is kind of grin and bear it because a lot of times these fees and surcharges are um, bundled, if you will. So it might be a mandated charge bundled with another charge that is – and for lack of a better term, made up to produce additional revenue for the carrier organization. Mm-hmm. So it may be a percentage of, you know, 27%, and, you know, some of it goes to Universal Service Fund, and the other percentage is the revenue stream for the carrier. And really the only thing they have to do is publish the definition of what that surcharge is on their website. And so um, if you went to your vendor's website and you really have to search for it, it's not just sitting there with flashing lights on it, look here to understand your bill. But if you search on the website for understanding your bill or what are these charges on my bill, things like that, it will give an explanation of what those charges are. But can you find any of them if they're not federally mandated? Uh, no, because the the vendor has a right to pass them along to you. Um, the mandated charges they typically they don't have to pay, pass through to you as a customer, but they do. Well, yeah, for twenty five percent, I would think they would definitely pass it through. <laughs> exactly. So the long and the short of it is that they don't have to, but they know where their money's coming from, and it's out of your pocket. You know, not out of their pocket, if you will. So um, there's not a lot of wiggle room with that, but it's important to understand what those fees are so you're not just left with sticker shock at the end of the day. Okay, well, that really sounds interesting. Well, it looks like it's time to give our sponsors a look at. Um, We're going to be right back with Denise talking about fixed Wireline Auditing. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. We hear it and read about it every day in the news. America is heading over a fiscal cliff. Home prices are still receding and unemployment growing. How can you preserve and increase your wealth in this kind of economy? Tune in to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with host Jay Taylor. Jay will explain the decline of our monetary system and the economy and will give you winning investment ideas and the tools to protect and increase your wealth. Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor can be heard Tuesdays at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, 12 noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Every day in business, we hear jargon, see writing from so-called experts, and don't know what we should follow and what we should avoid. Now, there's a program to sort everything out. 
The 2020s Enterprise with Sam Holzman is the program that provides actual best practices, insights, and real-world solutions that help business executives, technology executives, managers, and staff using straightforward talk. Listen live every Wednesday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time and 12 noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. You hear about it all the time. Compromises, destructive malware, major breaches. You can't turn on the news without hearing about the latest cyber event. Learn more about cybersecurity, how it has become one of the most significant threats to our national security, and the battle experts undergo every day on your behalf to protect you, your families, and your data. Task Force 7 Radio with host George Redis is the voice of cybersecurity around the world. Tune in live every Monday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Business Channel. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Telecom Talk. To reach Pat Pittman or her guest today, call in to 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. If you'd rather send an email, send it to ppittman at stonegate-consulting.com. That's P-P-I-T-T-M-O-N at stonegate-consulting.com. Now, back to Telecom Talk. Welcome back. We're here with Denise Monroe, and we've been talking about fixed wireline auditing. And Denise has just given us some really interesting facts regarding the fees, taxes, and surcharges that are on the various bills that you get. Denise, do you have any type of reports you generate back to the client while you're doing an audit? Absolutely. One of the most important things I think you can get as a result of um, an, an investigation like this is an inventory of all the lines and services that the customer is being charged for. So I always produce an inventory that is validated by price and by use um, as a part of the um, deliverable, if you will, for that, for um, the audit. That is one thing. And then the other thing is a report that just says, hey, these are the things that we found. We found that these services are unused and should be disconnected. Or we found that there were taxes applied to this where you're exempt. And I'm able to then quantify what those savings would be if they pursued the, um, the recommendation and approved it as something they wanted to move forward with. Oh, so you give the client the opportunity to accept, accept your recommendations or not? Yes, absolutely. Because, you know, during the course of our investigation, our goal is to really learn as much as we can about an organization and how they operate. But there may be instances where business decisions have been made that could um, directly impact a reason we wouldn't want to have a customer move forward with a recommendation. For example... Um, a toll-free number that's been ex- in existence for many, many, many years might be, you know, something they want to keep, but there's not much usage on it, something that is published, things like that. So there may be specific business decisions that have led to um, the services being installed and um, continuing to be built. Okay. Do you um, normally recommend changing vendors? 
you know, that is one option. Um, I think it is beneficial for a customer to do everything they can not to change vendors simply because they're it's a difficult process to move from one vendor to another, particularly if you have a significant investment involved mm-hmm. in the services that you have. So the first line of uh, the first approach that we would take is to try to negotiate and have conversations in, um, with the existing carrier or vendor um, in order to improve the business partnership relationship mm-hmm. and see how we can then. Um, look at ways for the customer to save money, reduce costs, but still have a positive relationship with Mm -hmm. that vendor going forward. So that would really be our first line of defense. Okay. Well, that sounds good because there is internal costs regarding vendor changing that sometimes get lost in the shuffle. Absolutely. Do you have a monthly review process after you've done your audit? on what the customer wants. Sometimes they want to just have a one-time look and make sure that everything is cleaned up and they go. Other customers really are interested in having someone with an expert, uneducated eye look at um, their bills on a monthly basis. Okay. Um, Is that an extra charge or is it come with your service or what? service and that, you know, there may be an ongoing fee associated with it, but it's minimal um, simply because the bills are already cleaned up. Ah, so you take a look just to make sure they stay that way? Absolutely. We, we definitely want a customer to um, be able to benefit from the work that's been done for a long period of time to come. Okay. What size company can benefit from an audit? You know, most any size company can benefit from an audit. I will tell you where we find a lot of opportunity, and that is companies that are spending $10,000 or more a month on their recurring expenses, and that can be anything from fixed wireline to cellular to data services and so forth. Mm-hmm. So that's that's really where you will find that there is not – a enough staff in an organization to really provide an ongoing review of services. That's not an area of expertise that a lot of uh, daily staff have. They're usually putting out fires daily, helping their users in the organization. Mm -hmm. So we find a lot of mid-sized, small to mid-sized businesses um, really benefiting from something like this. Of course, with a much larger organization, there's a lot more dollars to be saved as well. So it just really depends on the, um, you know, what has changed. A lot of times you will find that there's opportunities where there are acquisitions and mergers, you know, are they inheriting services from in an in a acquisition um, of another company or merging with another company? Are there duplications of services? There's all kinds of things that may impact what a client may uh, benefit from during this process. Okay, I bet now during the current environment, that's fluctuating on a regular basis. Yes, and what we're finding is there are organizations that no one is working in their offices right now. Most uh, employees have moved 
to a home-based scenario or, you know, partial or whatever the case might be. And so they're not using the services they have. (laughs) So some are going on vacation mode, for example, of those services and so forth to kind of stem the tide of um, having to spend for services they don't need to use right now. Ah, okay. Are there any contracts or um, for smaller clients that can save them money? Say say a little bit more about that so I'm clear about your question. Okay. It's, um, a lot of time, like the big companies get to negotiate rates, and because they have so many dollars to spend, the vendors love them and give them lots of discounts. But what about a smaller mm-hmm. guy? You know, is there anything out there that helps the smaller guy? I think the thing that helps the smaller guy most is knowing what they want. You know, are they needing this kind of bandwidth? Are they needing these kinds of phone lines? I think if you can go into a situation with knowledge, um, it gives you a lot of leverage to negotiate. Um, Unfortunately, what happens a lot of times is in these all these – layoffs and things that happen within carrier organizations, there's just not enough people, you know, to act as account managers where it's a one-to-one relationship all the time. Mm-hmm. But um, knowing what you really want and need going into the, uh, into the engagement is a good way to get started. Certainly sounds like it. How much is usually saved by having an audit? You know, it varies. It, it varies, but the average we see is about thirty percent, between ten and thirty percent. Really, and a lot of yes, and and that's why there's um, that's why it's a good exercise to go through. If you save ten percent of a million dollar budget, that's a nice chunk of change that can be either put into um, another program you might be rolling out. Or just hitting that bottom line and having a positive impact. Ah, so you can sort of balance your budget. On make- Absolutely. Yeah, instead of going over, you could go under. Aha. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what does an audit cost? Well, it really does depend on the client. Again, I say that more than once simply because... For our organization, what we see is clients really like having programs tailored to them, and we're flexible with that. Do you want to um, engage us on an hourly basis? We can do that. Do you want us to um, tailor a program on a fixed fee basis so you know what to expect in terms of the budget? Um, One of the most popular ways is to do it in a contingency format where uh, we share in the savings. For example, if I'm able to save you 10%, you know, we share that savings over a period of time. So then there's no money that has to be budgeted for that. The money is essentially already coming out of the budget um, to, to um, handle those expenses. What happens if you don't find any savings? And there's no fee. It's kind of like when you talk to a lawyer and they don't win your case. So (laughs) I will say, right, I will say in my 25 plus years of doing this, I've only had two instances where I've found zero. Really? Only two? Yeah. Only two. 
And why was that, do you think? Let me see. Um, in those cases, it, it, they were just a very well-run organization. They were, run, they were running really lean. And I will say that that is not the typical environment. So they really wanted to make sure that they were, you know, running at the at peak efficiency, and they sure were. Wow. For what you say, it sounds like they really were well run if you couldn't if you couldn't find anything. Absolutely. And I mean, you know, with the years of experience I have, I've seen kind of every different cost saving scenario. And so, I mean, it was just a lean, mean organization and <laughs> it showed. Do you have any horror stories you can tell us? Or- <laughs> oh, there's all kinds of horror stories. Um, had a situation, as, as a matter of fact, in the Dallas-Fort Worth area, and it was a car dealership of all things. And, but no, car, um, car dealerships are notoriously cheap. Well, it, in this case, it wasn't even that. The thing about car dealerships is that they have lots of locations in a very small footprint. So across a city or across cities and surrounding suburbs. Mm-hmm. So there might be the Honda dealership here, the Chevy dealership over here, and so forth, owned by the same organization. We had a situation where there was a new car showroom on one side of the street. And on the other side of the street, they had their used car showroom. Okay. And to be connected to the network, they had a point-to-point circuit bought from AT&T, that um, they paid on a monthly basis to connect the two buildings so they could, you know, use the point of sale. They could be on the corporate network and those kinds of things. Mm-hmm. We found during the course of our investigation that one of the buildings had been torn down. Torn down? And Torn down. <laughs> so one of the points of that point-to-point circuit no longer existed. And we went to the vendor and said, hey, this, this circuit doesn't exist anymore. One, we need to disconnect it. And two, we need to be refunded for the, the charges that you've charged this customer for the last 35 months. Wow. And they said, well, you can't, you can't prove that. <laughs> and I said, yes, I can, because what's on that property right now is a super Walmart. And once they realized that that circuit really did not exist anymore because the property had literally been tilled and demolished the building and all those things. And this whole new structure had been rebuilt. They acquiesced and refunded the customer for all the money that they had paid on this circuit when um, they previously had a used car showroom on that side of the street. How, how much is how much do, do you have to prove, and how do you prove it? Well, you know, documentation is the best thing you can do when you are lo- handling any kinds of services that you um, remove, change, alter in any way. So it's better to have documentation like a letter that says, "We are now disconnecting the service; it's no longer necessary." Things like that. That's really the best case scenario. In many instances, over time, those kinds of records are not kept or they just don't exist. Mm -hmm. So 
it is really incumbent on the auditor to make that case. We go into detective mode and really try to validate as much as we can and find enough documentation to um, make the case for a, you know, a refund or whatever the case, some claim, you know, that may mm-hmm. arise. It's funny. So it may be your contract. It may be the service guide. It may be previous invoices, those kinds of things. What's the difference between the tariff and a service guide? <laughs> that is an interesting question. Okay. Back in the days uh, of, pre- of actually pre-divestiture even of the Bell system, we had tariffs. And what tariffs were was a description of the services that a vendor could sell. Mm-hmm. Could you sell a T1? Could you sell a pipeline? Could you sell whatever the case might have been? And they essentially had to submit that to a regulatory body, typically the FCC or the State Public Service Commission. And that is what um, they used as their background documentation for whatever service that they sold. Mm-hmm. Um, Tariffs have really gone away in the, in recent years, and it's really become more of a function of the service guide. And what a service guide is essentially the same thing, but it's not really all that regulated anymore. You just have to um, post it on your website to make it valid. So there's a lot of times that the service guide is incorporated by reference, and it might have a web link, a URL link, you know, um, in the contract. But you don't print out all the pages. But you should really know what they say Mm -hmm. uh, so you can make some good, solid decisions when moving forward with the service. Ah, okay. So um, are the ones that are in the service guide, are those charges negotiable? Um, No, but the discounts that are applied to them are. Uh-huh. So the service, the service guide and or the tariff just give the base rate, mm-hmm. okay? And then there are discount um, levels that the vendor can apply to the base rate to give you a better monthly recurring cost. Okay. Um, so, and how is that, how is that priced, so to speak? Well, they give you the rack rate essentially in the service guide, right? Mm-hmm. So what you find is if a service costs $1,000 a month, then based on some criteria that they develop on the size you are, the volume, those kinds of things, they can offer it to you at a 50% discount or a 60% discount or whatever, you know, criteria that you mm-hmm. need that match, you know, their requirements. And that's how that um, final price gets determined. What that sounds like is it's no longer financially or physically responsible to spread your business around various carriers. Is that true? Uh, well, I, I think that's a business philosophy. Um, some customers like to have one vendor because it's simple. Some like to have multiple vendors because they have some diversity. And then some really have to have multiple vendors because of the geography. So it really just depends on what the business philosophy is 
and that you just have to see. And it may not be all or nothing. It may be that geography is an issue here and volume is an issue with that kind of service. It just really depends. Okay, so you sort of still have to um, search around for the best deal in town. Yes, I think that um, making sure that you have done your research and due diligence is really important. How long does that usually take, or is that just depend upon what service um, you're looking at? I think it depends on a lot of things, but primarily the more you know about your environment, the better leverage you have. So if you know that you have six toll-free numbers and your toll-free usage is a million minutes per month and it's spread out geographically this way or that way, that's going to give you a lot more leverage because you will know specifically what to ask for and the vendor will know what the expectation is of what the services will be. Ah, okay. I think I believe I've been getting to understand a little bit about this. <laughs> <laughs> it is a lot. I mean, uh, you said at the beginning that there is no school for this. Right. I I don't think that we could school someone on this. It really is kind of an on-the-job training kind of scenario, and you really have to have the detective's frame of mind oftentimes when approaching this kind of work. Certainly sounds like it. Well, I think we'll take a short break. Um, and hear from our sponsors and we will be back shortly with Denise Monroe doing fixed wireline auditing Voice America is on your favorite smart speaker if you have Alexa or Google Home go ahead and give us a try hey Alexa play finding your frequency podcast on TuneIn Tune in to the soul of enterprise, business in the knowledge economy with co-hosts Ron Baker and Ed Kless. Ron and Ed will show you how to recognize that wealth is created by intellectual capital. It's all in the possibilities that we can create and that are created for us. These possibilities are destined to be discovered by human imagination and through the service of others, creating a brighter future for all of us. The Soul of Enterprise is heard live every Friday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Business Channel and simulcast at the same time on the Voice America Variety Channel. It's time to take charge of your own career path. But how do you get started? First, tune in to The Career Confidant with Marie Zimanoff. Each show will feature national business leaders, tips and insight from Marie and her guests, career management tools, and a weekly career smart tip. She'll help you move forward, earn that promotion, get hired into the career you want, and brand yourself. The Career Confidant is broadcast live every Monday at 3 p.m. Pacific Time, 6 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Tired of the Get Rich Quick or How to Flip Home shows? Are you ready to step up your game and invest in commercial real estate? James Nelson, a top New York City broker, will show you step-by-step how to acquire, operate, and profit. You'll also hear from real estate legends on how they made their fortunes and industry experts on strategies for success. Tune into Real Estate Investing, live from New York, on Tuesdays at 7 p.m. Eastern Time, 4 p.m. Pacific Time, on Voice America Business. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. 
You are listening to Telcom Talk. To reach Pat Pittman or her guest today, call in to 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. If you'd rather send an email, send it to ppittman at stonegate-consulting.com. That's P-P-I-T-T-M-O-N at stonegate-consulting.com. Now, back to Telecom Talk. Well, welcome back. We're here with Denise Monroe taking a look at fixed auditing in the telecom industry. Hey, Denise. Um, okay, now I had a question and I lost it. How do you like that one? Um, do you do anything outside the United States internationally? Um, you know, I have not had the opportunity to do so, but when I don't, I have resources that can do that. Okay. And where do these resources come from? Well, it's funny you should ask. I'm a member of a professional association of technology consultants called the Society of Communications Technology Consultants International. Uh, based in New York, the organization is, and we have uh, members of uh, the organization that are from all over the world. We are an association of independent consultants. Mm-hmm. And we adhere to a very strict code of ethics. So we um, know kind of, well, we know that we, these uh, members have been vetted. We know the kinds of um, business ethics that they have and so forth. And we do a lot of networking, ongoing education in the industry, and, um, you know, just uh, looking at ways that we can all help each other and improve our own business practices. Ah. That sounds like a great organization. What else do you do? Well, I'm a member of the Project Management Institute as well. Mm -hmm. Um, I participate in many um, vendor consultant programs where they educate and provide opportunities to learn more about new product rollouts and things like that. Mm -hmm. We also have access into direct access into some vendor organizations when things need to be escalated and when things need to be, um, you know, we have issues about, you know, questions we might have or whatever. So, um, yeah, so there's many ways that I try to stay informed about this subject and the technology associated with it because I think that goes hand in hand. Yeah, I mean, the way you've been talking and what I know about the industry is that, it's wide and deep, <laughs> and trying to keep yeah. up with that is difficult. It, it is, and thankfully, um, there are a lot of resources out there. So knowing what questions to ask or where to ask that question, it goes beyond just a Google search. But, <laughs> you you know, there are resources out there to um, better uh gain knowledge about what you're, you know, working with at the time. So, um, but it is, it's wide and it's deep and not having the depth of knowledge can also impact how, um, how successful your audit project is. Ah, okay. Um, what's the difference between an SCTC consultant and any other consultant out there? Well, you know, I, in terms of putting them up against each other, I can't say specifically, 
But the thing that is important about the SCTC organization is that we all agree to a specific code of ethics saying that we are going to do business in an ethical manner. We don't sell services, uh, equipment, and carrier services and things like that. Uh, So we are not making commissions on the side that might motivate us to make recommendations for those services and equipment we might Ah. be earning commissions on. Um, So there's no conflict of interest. Our interest is serving the end user customer in the most ethical way possible. And so um, we do not come with a bias in terms of a product or a a vendor. We really do try to look at what the requirements are for the customer and try to find the best match. I kind of call myself a matchmaker with regard to how I work is a good description. You know, Mm -hmm. what do you want? What do you need? What's the uh, business case? Let's look for something, a solution for you that is going to be a good fit for your organization. Okay. How does a um, telephone expense management system fit into this or go along with it? In terms of consulting or in terms of um, using it within an end-user organization? Both, I guess. Okay. So in terms of consulting, there are many tools that consultants will use Mm -hmm. to organize the information, maybe do some cursory review of low-hanging fruit, those kinds of things. Um, in my personal opinion, an a, a, a experienced eye for um, discrepancies is really important that a, a tool cannot or an automation platform cannot really replace. Mm-hmm. Um, it is just that, a tool. So within a, an auditing organization, there may be some kinds of tools with regard to aiding that process. Um, and then in terms of using a telecom expense management tool within a customer organization, it's always great to have some place where you have a repository of your inventory and your ongoing bills and looking at recurring expenses and doing maybe a cursory uh, check every month of did the bill change 5%, 10%? Was there a something that just stood out that looked like it might be something to investigate further. So it's, in my mind, a telecom expense management tool is just that. It cannot replace the experience and the knowledge of the organization or the technology, but it is something that can definitely aid the process. Okay, so it would be still behoove a client to get a, a good, an audit from a consultant before going ahead with a a management system? Absolutely. And the reason I say that is that if you put bad information in, you're going to get bad information out. So it really does, um, it does ensure that your investment is sound in that platform. If you put good information in it, are your bills clean? Are your bills accurate? Are your bills Are your inventories validated? If you're just putting garbage, if you will, into a tool, that's all you're really going to get out of the tool. And it doesn't make sense to spend money on that platform if all you're doing is, you know, monitoring bills. You have a 
accounts payable system for that. Ah, okay. So an accounts payable system can still, they can flag stuff, can't it? Well, accounts payable systems typically will flag um, the bill increased by X percent. But Ah. it's not going to give you the level of detail that a tool intended for expense management will. Because these are technology-related services, not just invoices. Okay, so the the tool looks more at uh, in depth into the types of services that are being billed. Yes. Okay, that sounds interesting. Well, um, if somebody was interested in a audit or a review, anyway, um, are you available? Yes, we're always looking for ways to serve our clients and look at opportunities for new uh, work projects. Mm -hmm. So um, we have a website, crgtele.com, crgtelecom, if you will. Um, There is a place to contact us there, info at crgtele.com, or you can just give us a call at the number on our website, and we'll be happy to talk with you. Well, that's great. Would that is that if there's a fee based on that? No, every every uh, new opportunity is a free look. You know, oh. we'll, you can give us some sample bills and we'll say, you know, you're in good shape. Or, you know, we might be able to do some things for you. Let's uh, let's talk further about how we can um, serve you. Oh, that sounds good. How long does it usually take for an audit? Well... Typical audits, if we have all the information we need, takes about 90 days uh, from the beginning simply because there's a lot of data that is collected, mm-hmm. um, bills and contracts and communication with vendors. So we are, that's typically how, it, um, how long it lasts, 90 days. However, obviously, the larger the organization, the more yeah, data that's collected. I can imagine. So it will you know, expand that timeline, and that's something that we can um, work with a client on. Well, that's great. Um, we're sort of getting to the end of our program. Um, Denise, I want to thank you very much for being on the show and giving us an insight into some of the expenses that people can look at to try and save their budget during these strange times. It has been my pleasure, Pat. Thank you so much. Okay. Well, you can reach Denise at CRG Telly, right? T-E-L-E? Yes. Dot dot com. com. Okay. Um, or you can send an inquiry to P. Pittman at Stonegate-Consulting.com. And either way, we can get you to Denise so we can – Denise can take a good look at what your bills are really costing you. Again, thank you very much, Denise. We really appreciate your time today, and we will see everybody next week. Thank you for making Telecom Talk a part of your week. Be sure to join host Pat Pittman for another episode next Monday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time and 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. We'll connect again next week.